Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. This week we discuss contamination and treatment of Tucson groundwater. Two years ago, we spent an episode of our show discussing PFAS, a group of man-made chemicals contaminating Tucson's groundwater. We're revisiting that subject today because there's growing local and national concern about the chemicals. PFAS stands for per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, a group of chemicals that have been used for decades in a whole range of products. They are nearly indestructible, which makes them popular in things like nonstick pans, fast food packaging, and stain-resistant materials. They're called forever chemicals because they don't break down in the environment. And even more concerning, they accumulate in our bodies over time. Our producer Ariana Brocious talked with David Andrews, a senior scientist at the Environmental Working Group about the use and regulation of PFAS. What do we know about why PFAS are so harmful to human health? The reason we know a lot about PFAS and the impacts on human health in particular is due to a contamination in and around Parkersburg, West Virginia. And this was a DuPont manufacturing facility uh, that released PFOA, but in particular into the drinking water for nearly 70,000 residents in that area. And so through a health study of those residents, it was discovered that increased levels of PFOA in the drinking water led to an increased risk of hypertension, testicular and kidney cancer, as well as a few other health effects. So it was really that specific contamination case that provided significant human evidence of harm. So the industry has known that these chemicals are harmful for decades, but there's been almost no change into how they're used or regulated until very recently, right? Uh, why is that? For the most part, that's, that's correct. Um, in the early 2000s, um, when EPA found out information about the harms of PFOA and PFOS, they did enter into a voluntary phase-out agreement with five major manufacturers. So there has been, at least over the last decade or so, a significant shift in the compounds or chemicals that are being used. Um, but this did take many efforts to get to that point. Uh, largely due to a lack of information that made it to the public or made it to regulators. And what is incredibly concerning from the public health perspective is that the replacement chemicals may actually be no safer. With the research we have, do we know if those substitutes are any less harmful? So one of the, one of the, like, the, the scientific measures that EPA used for determining whether or not those replacements was more harmful was primarily the bioaccumulation, so how much levels would increase in people or animals. And so most of the replacements were supposed to um, accumulate in people to a lesser extent. It turns out that assumption wasn't necessarily always correct. And one thing that is particularly concerning, though, is that these replacement chemicals, they actually seem to be having very similar health impacts in people, whether it's uh, impacting the immune system to reduce the effectiveness of vaccines, leading to higher cholesterol levels, as well as a number of different types of cancer. Um, so some of the replacements look to be a little bit better, but the concern is that the cumulative exposure and exposure to the replacements and the, the legacy contaminants is actually making this crisis even worse. So the EPA is working on setting drinking water standards for two of these so-called legacy PFAS, so we can expect that maybe in a few years. But there, as you've just mentioned, there are thousands of other types of these chemicals um, that are widely used. 
Do you expect we'll get regulation of any of those other chemicals at any point in the future, near future? There's significant increasing pressure at the federal level to regulate some of those chemicals, as well as state level. And actually a number of states have already set drinking water standards that would set a cumulative exposure level for, for five or six different PFAS compounds. But as I mentioned, there are hundreds to thousands of these. And, and it is of particular concern that at least in testing of water samples that were done in Massachusetts, where they actually looked at a number of different water sources to look at the, the concentration of unknown PFAS, the ones they couldn't identify. Um, that total concentration has been increasing over the past 15 years. Um, so it is a particular concern that the, the federal government so far has only focused their efforts on two of these compounds, but that effort does seem to be expanding. And, and we think that's, that's actually urgently needed. And this is a much bigger problem than just two chemicals. And the industry has made some cases that these are really useful chemicals. Um, that's why they're in such wide use in all kinds of products. So is, in your opinion, is that true? Are there ways to get around using these chemicals if they were banned, say, as like a, a class or something? Right. That, so that brings up a number of interesting points. Um, one, I was involved in a peer-reviewed effort with a number of colleagues across the country arguing that we should be evaluating these chemicals as a class and really looking at um, all hundreds of these at the same time, especially when we evaluate exposure concerns and their use in products. That being said, there are a few concrete steps that we can take to really eliminate the non-essential uses before we get to, to some of these um, discussions in terms of whether or not the use of this chemical needs to come out of some medical devices per se. Um, we know these chemicals are used in everything from coating tools, dental floss, fast food wrappers, um, places where it, it really leads to unnecessary exposure. And we know there are alternatives on the market. So I think in terms of a a path forward for society, there, there are many uses that can be eliminated. And then over time, I think we need to incentivize finding alternatives for those places where uses may be essential or, or, or it may take more time to move away from the concerning uses. But, but the ultimate underlying issue and concern here is really the lack of health and safety data for many of these compounds before they made it to the market. And then their use became widespread. They ended up being used in, in hundreds or thousands of different products that we have in our house in places where it was just completely unnecessary. Is there a takeaway message that you want the public to know about PFAS? For me, there's two overarching messages. Um, one is that we can make a change. And, and I think the involvement of the public and um, really phasing out and ending many of these uses will lead to a decrease in, in exposure, a decrease in health harms. Um, so that's an important part of the message. The other part is that this is representative of a, a significant shortcoming in our approach to regulating industrial chemicals. And I think that whole approach needs to be reevaluated so that before these chemicals become very widespread, before they really contaminate the globe and impact our health, they're evaluated for safety in a way that can make a determination and the regulators can make, can make a determination about whether or not they should be so widespread in the first place. That was David Andrews, a senior scientist at the Environmental Working Group talking with producer Ariana Brocious. You can find a link to EWG's map of PFAS contamination on our website. In the last several years, PFAS have become a national concern, 
partly because much of the contamination stems from military bases and airports, where PFAS-laden firefighting foam has been used for decades. Tucson is a prime example. John Kamik is interim director of Tucson Water. He talked with Ariana Brocious about the source of Tucson's PFAS contamination. Several years ago, uh, Tucson Water uh, discovered uh, PFAS compounds in the aquifer in, uh, in various places throughout the region. Um, over the last several years, we've identified that there's some key locations where PFAS compounds can be found. Uh, one location is just north of the Davis Mountain Air Force Base in the groundwater. Another is closer to uh, north and northwest of the Tucson um, International Airport, uh, where the Arizona Air National Guard is located. And then a larger area uh, is more associated with the Santa Cruz River down gradient of the Agua Nueva wastewater treatment plant and impacting the groundwater from that area uh, downstream all the way close to the Pinal County line. So the city doesn't rely on the wells that you found to be contaminated currently, but um, it's pretty likely that we will have to, at some point down the road, given water shortages, um, so do you anticipate that through the project that the state is working on to clean up this water, that there will be a point at which we can use those contaminated wells again? Uh, our hope is that we won't have to go back to those contaminated wells, uh, but we want the state and uh, encourage the state and participating with the state to clean up the areas that are currently impacted so it doesn't further degrade any other wells uh, in the future as that uh, contaminant moves throughout the groundwater system. Uh, we're going to continue to rely predominantly on our Aver Valley well fields, uh, where the majority of our CAP water is stored, and we have large uh, well fields in that aquifer that can move water into the city. So the wells that we have across the central Tucson basin, uh, let's call them our historic wells from the first hundred years of Tucson water service, uh, those are, are used uh, much less frequently and the ones that have been impacted, we have no plans to replace at this time. You were also director of Marana Water, which has been engaged in a similar cleanup project uh, for a while. Can you explain how that has gone and where that project stands? In 2016, uh, Marana Water discovered that they had uh, similar compounds, PFAS compounds, along two other water systems um, in the northwest part of the Tucson Basin in the town of Marana and they embarked on building two advanced treatment plants uh, to deal with those compounds. And um, I believe those, those plants are about to be uh, commissioned uh, in the very near future. And what kind of treatment is that employing? Yeah, with relations to uh, perfluorinated compounds, the methods that Tucson Water and the town of Marana uh, are using, because uh, Tucson Water does this at the Tucson Airport Remediation Project, um, is, is what's called granular activated carbon. It's a, it's a, a crushed carbon-based product, and PFAS compounds tend to absorb to the carbon as it passes through, very similar to what a kitchen um, sink filter would do or a, or a filter on your refrigerator that's carbon-based. Um, those compounds absorb to it and um, produce a water that is, that is PFAS-free, uh, but it does have to be replaced at certain points um, as, as the absorption potential for the carbon um, ends up being exhausted, and then you have to replace the carbon with fresh carbon and continue on, much like changing a fridge filter. The EPA is starting to work on setting some drinking water standards, some formal guidelines um, for two of these most prevalent compounds, um, but that process is likely to take several years still. 
Where does that leave municipal water providers like Tucson Water and Marana Water in the meantime? Uh, well, the good thing about uh, utilities like Tucson Water and Marana Water is we're proactively dealing with these chemicals without regulation from the Safe Drinking Water Act. So as the EPA moves down a regulatory framework uh, for, as you mentioned, two compounds, PFOA and PFOS, um, the two utilities that are impacted uh, right now will be in good shape because we'll be act- we are currently activating, actively treating for it if in our instance at the Tucson Airport Remediation Project, or we are doing what we call uh, mitigate, our mitigation method is avoidance. We've turned off wells where these compounds are detected um, in, in an effort to let ADEQ and, and others figure out how to clean it up. So we will continue to operate that way. We will, if we find it in the aquifer, uh, we will make sure that we're not pumping from those areas of the aquifer. And that's, uh, that's perfectly in compliance with EPA guidelines. Tucson and Marana have filed lawsuits against PFAS manufacturers like 3M. Where do those cases stand? Well, not to get, uh, it is an active litigation, so I'm not, not going to get too far uh, into the weeds on it, but it is being heard in federal court in Charleston, South Carolina. It's called a multi-district litigation case. Uh, so besides Tucson and Marana, I believe there's well over uh, 100 other communities that are dealing with perfluorinated compounds from across the country. And so that case has been uh, coupled together with all the plaintiffs and is, is being heard in South Carolina. Uh, they're still at the discovery phase, I, as I understand it, where the plaintiffs and the and defending companies are going through the materials that have been presented uh, by the plaintiffs um, in all those jurisdictions around the country. Most likely, though, if there were to be an outcome favorable for Tucson Water and other municipalities, it would be like settlement, right? Like funding cleanup efforts or just simply paying the municipalities that have these contamination problems? Yeah, I, ideally what we're hoping to uh, to get out of this is some financial relief uh, so we can then embark on some active cleanup uh, in the Tucson Basin where we know that these compounds are and with the ultimate hope of getting able to recover those assets that we currently shut off. Uh, we've shut off of 24 wells uh, either permanently or put them in a very uh, emergency standby only position. Uh, so having that financial relief to do uh, eventual cleanup and bring be able to bring those assets back into our portfolio um, is the ideal situation. That was John Kamik, Interim Director of Tucson Water. As he mentioned, part of Tucson's PFAS contamination plume is tied to Tucson International Airport. Spokesperson Jesse Butler says they've been using the standard firefighting foam since the 1970s in accordance with FAA requirements. But TIA no longer uses the foam for training purposes. The only times we will ever discharge foam now, as of right now, is only in the case of an emergency. So a plane crash, for example. Butler says the FAA began changing guidelines around the use of the foam in 2017, and Tucson Airport followed suit. And they also got rid of all of the legacy foam that was in the trucks, so our trucks only carry the new approved foam. In 2019, the FAA issued further guidance for airports to use replacement foams. Those foams still contain PFAS chemicals, but a different type. We are in full support of not having to use it. You know, unfortunately, we are completely binded by the FAA regulations. So we are in full support of Congress and FAA finding an alternative. 
Tucson Airport Authority Fire Chief Tom Tucker says the FAA has been charged by Congress to develop a PFAS-free firefighting foam, but has yet to do so. He points out that incidents requiring the foam are relatively uncommon, though they do occur. Since 2014, I think we've only had two incidents. And understand when we do have those incidents, uh, once we deal with the life safety issues and we stabilize the incident, we have another component of response, which is environmental. So as soon as that area is deemed safe, our environmental team comes in with a third party and does everything uh, allowable to uh, mitigate that area that was contaminated with foam. We also reached out to Davis Monthan Air Force Base, another major source of PFOS contamination in Tucson. In an email to AZPM, a base spokesperson said Davis Monthan replaced the legacy foam in 2016. The new firefighting foam has no PFOS and only trace amounts of PFOA. Just like Tucson International Airport, it is only used for emergencies and not for training. And if used, it's treated as a hazardous material spill. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're discussing PFAS, a group of man-made chemicals that exist in the blood of most Americans. The chemicals present in all sorts of products accumulate in the body over time and are called forever chemicals because they don't break down. They can cause serious health effects including cancer, thyroid, and immune system problems. Last fall, the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality, known as ADEQ, launched a pilot project to develop a treatment plan in Tucson for PFAS contamination in the groundwater. Tucson Water has already been doing some PFAS cleanup at its Tucson Airport Remediation Project, where it's cleaning up another chemical called trichloroethylene, or TCE. We spoke to ADEQ Director Misael Cabrera about the project and asked why the state stepped in to help. The difference between the two areas uh, is that the TCE plume, which now has also been found to have per and polyfluorinated alkyl substances, or PFAS, already has a capture system in place. So the Tucson Area Remediation Project uh, has been installed uh, for years. It is capturing contamination that's headed uh, towards the northeast in that area of town. Um, in the central plume uh, for Tucson, there is no capture system. And so rather than wait for other entities to act, what we noticed and what Tucson Water alerted us to is that the plume was headed towards their central well field. Tucson Water has already had to close a number of their wells, um, but their backup water supply for the entire area is located in the central well field. And so we did not want to wait. We wanted to take action and stop that plume before it got too much further. So where does the project stand right now? We have uh, so far installed seven monitoring wells in that area to define the extent of contamination. And um, we are uh, going to install a few more wells 
uh, in the May timeframe. At the same time, we're designing a pilot plant uh, that'll help treat the highest areas of contamination right away uh, and help us learn as to what we should do for a full-scale treatment system. For the uninformed, uh, how does treatment work? How do you, you know, stop the plume, pull out the the chemicals, and then do you put it the, the water back in on the other side, if you will? So we will extract the water, uh, and then we will pass that water through a resin that preferentially extracts the contaminants out uh, and then clean water is able to exit from the treatment system. For the pilot plant, we will be discharging the clean water into the storm drain and final plans for the ultimate treatment plant, we haven't decided yet. When it comes to the wells where you're finding these chemicals, Assuming the cleanup goes well, will these wells ever be usable again? Or are we looking, for lack of a better term, just downstream from these wells and stopping the plume? So these PFAS compounds are um, relatively new in the environmental arena in terms of treatment. Um, Our initial first goal is to stop the plume from spreading further. And that's our number one priority. Um, Groundwater moves, and in in this area, it's moving north-northwest in direction. And so the further it moves, uh, the more health risk there is to other people in other areas, but also the more expensive it gets to treat because you're dealing with larger and larger volumes of water. And so our first priority is to stop the plume uh, from moving any further. Uh, Sometime in the future, we may find advances in technology that allow us to fully restore the aquifer. Uh, But right now, goal number one is stop the pollution from spreading. You mentioned that this problem is relatively new in the environment. Is it so new that we don't have regulation for it yet, like with ADEQ groundwater rules, or are regulations in place so there is a violation? Um, The EPA has only issued a health advisory level for these contaminants, and that is 70 parts per trillion. Uh, There is no regulatory standard for these pollutants yet. In the state of Arizona, we usually wait for the EPA to set a drinking water standard, and then we typically apply that drinking water standard to our aquifer water quality limits, because in the state of Arizona, we assume that all of our aquifers are for drinking water. EPA is in the process of setting a maximum contaminant level for drinking water, When that occurs, we'll adopt that into our aquifer water quality standards. Even though EPA is working, we know, especially at the federal level, these types of rules and regulations take a long time. Since we know we have the problem, uh, why not jump in and get ahead of the EPA at this point on the regulation? I've been asked that question several times. Um, The answer is really that it's 
it's practically difficult uh, when every state has an individual standard. Um, what that does is it creates a mosaic of differentiation that is, is very difficult to manage on a national basis. Now, some states choose to do that, and that's their prerogative. At, in Arizona, what, what we do is we usually wait for the federal government to set the standard, and then we attach to that uh, for simplicity's sake. Uh, it makes litigating against responsible parties easier. It, it, it makes uh, finding cleanup technology simpler. Uh, there's just a lot of practical reasons why um, we wait for the federal standard. In addition to all of that, we do have a statute in Arizona that precludes ADEQ from regulating anything uh, more stringently than the federal government. When it comes to the pilot project and the longer project, what's the timetable on this? The unfortunate part uh, about large groundwater plumes is that they're difficult to remedy uh, in the short term. Typically on projects like this, we're looking at um, 10 years or more um, before we can reach levels. So one of the things that makes these projects last a long time is the sheer size of the plumes. And so uh, we're trying to get out there uh, and um, control the size of the plume as soon as possible. And that'll help accelerate uh, the remedy over time. Uh, but unfortunately, these projects do take um, a significant amount of time, usually more than a decade. That was ADEQ Director Misael Cabrera. Arizona Congress members Ann Kirkpatrick and Raul Grijalva sit on a PFAS working group that's crafting legislation to reduce future contamination and clean up existing plumes. The working group recently sent a bipartisan letter to the Biden administration outlining what the White House can do. Included are recommendations to direct the EPA to quickly finalize national drinking water standards for PFOA and PFOS. They also want the Biden administration to push the Department of Defense to speed up its removal and mitigation of contamination caused by firefighting foam. Kirkpatrick serves on the Defense Subcommittee. In a statement, she told AZPM she's, quote, committed to funding at the Department of Defense to end the use of PFOS and accelerate the cleanup around our military installations. And that's the buzz for this week. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Antiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.